The reading this evening is taken from Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Uh, And if you're in the building with us tonight, you can find that on page 1048 of the Church Bibles. So that's Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus... Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Thanks, Trevor. Let's just pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, fill us afresh now. Turn our eyes and our ears upon Jesus. And let the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Well, what are you looking forward to? I'm already looking forward to Christmas. Miserable last year. Looking forward to Christmas. What, are you, what about you? Half term coming up. Parents not looking quite so keen, but there we go. There are some great things to look forward to, aren't there? I wonder whether sometimes we think about stuff we're looking forward to now and forget about the bigger picture, what we can really look forward to, which is a future in heaven. Because that's what this passage uh, is all about. It focuses fair and square on heaven and who is going to be there. And and the setting for all this is a banquet. Um, And you look at verse uh, 15, where this uh, kicks off. Uh, There's a guest sitting at the table near Jesus. And verse 15, he says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, as as a conversation starter, that's a bit of a killer, isn't it? It's It doesn't trip off the tongue, does it? It's not the sort of conversation you can imagine having 
uh, in the pub or in Costa or, 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 or outside uh, the cafe. But actually, put it into modern language, and it's kind of saying, won't heaven be great? I'm really looking forward to being in heaven. So it's a, it's a sort of question, I suppose we'd say now, about the afterlife. But whatever happens after you die, that's going to be great. Actually, that's the sort of conversation you can have with a lot of people without using such pious language. Um, who's seen the Bond film? Ooh, that's a bit disappointing, chaps. Come on. Well, not too much of a plot giveaway to say that at one point, the baddie, whose name I still can't pronounce, Lucifer Scarring, is that right? He turns to Bond and he says, all people want is oblivion. That's what people are looking forward to, says Scarin. It's oblivion. Well, what this passage tells me is that even if Lucifer Scarin is true, oblivion is not an option. Because really this passage is going to tell us two things. It's going to tell us, yes, there is a heaven and it's wonderful. But it also says... You don't have to be there if you don't want to. And if you don't want to be there, the alternative is hell. That's the choice that's presented in this passage. Um, So we're going to start just thinking about what this passage tells us about heaven. And then we'll think about how it is that we can miss out on that offer. So what is so special, if you like, about heaven? What does this particular passage uh, tell us? Notice the phrase uh, this guy uses in verse 15. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. That's, a, that's not a desperately good translation, actually. If you look at the, the, the underlying words, what it really talks about is breaking bread. Blessed is the one who will break bread in the kingdom. And so that's a very different focus, isn't it? It's not about how great the food is. We break bread when we share it with other people. This is saying heaven is going to be sharing. Sharing with other people and sharing with God. Now, if you're a Christian here tonight... You, you, you may sometimes not even be aware of this, actually, as, as we go on in our Christian walk. But you kind of have a taste of that every day. The Holy Spirit came into your life when you put your trust in Christ. And from that moment on, God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. You have just a taste of that company of heaven, that company of God already. But heaven now, as we look ahead to this kingdom, well, this is an eternity, 100% in God's company, the God who freely and eternally gives of himself. This is a God who created, well, according to C.S. Lewis, not just the universe, but all the universes. And yet he wants to cuddle us and hug us and look after us like a mother and child, and and a God who loves us so much that he dies for us and even goes to hell for us. And eternity, one little picture there, as we break bread with God, 
is being in his company. And then, of course, the other picture we got here, verse 16, a certain man, that's God, was preparing a great banquet. Great in every sense. It's fantastic. I mean, I know some of you are Bake Off fans, and I, I don't get it, but whatever, however wonderful Bake Off is, that food is, God's banquet, we know, of course, is going to be hugely better. And it's huge. Lots of people Lots of food is the sort of image we're being given there. And what's more, we have a reservation. Peter says we have an inheritance reserved for us. So we're looking forward to a reserved seat at God's banquet. Now, there's lots of stuff in the New Testament we could explore, couldn't we, about what the Bible says about heaven. But in this passage, we just get those two little sort of pictures, don't we, of being in God's company and this idea of a, of a party. It's going to be great. And that is our future. Something we can get excited about, something we can look forward to. And nobody, nobody is excluded. You're not looking terribly excited by this prospect, but never mind. I trust you are, really, in a very British way. But the fact that nobody's excluded is a little bit dodgy, isn't it? Because, of course, you don't have to be there. All are welcome, but not everybody is going to be there. And this passage doesn't say an awful lot about it, but it certainly makes clear that not everybody is going to be heaven in heaven, and what the alternative is. Just jump ahead a little bit, verse 24. Verse 24, the master uh, tells people out, sends people out, and then right at the end of the passage, I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Um, a few years ago, I, was, I went to a, a royal garden party, a very posh invite, see the royals, Walk through the steps. Great fun. Um, my wife wasn't invited. <sighs> Slightly tricky one. Never mind. I went. I had a good time. And I thought, I know. Judith would really appreciate a royal cucumber sandwich. So I wrapped up one of the royal cucumber sandwiches in one of the royal serviettes and smuggled it out. And it I didn't think it was appreciated. I thought it was going to be. It didn't seem to impress. It was rejected as a very poor second best to being at the party. Well, God says here, you're not even going to get a soggy cucumber sandwich. You're either in the palace at the party or you are excluded. Not a hint, not a trace of God's kindness or his grace or his goodness. It's an, ex- an eternity of exclusion. And I guess some of us, we all know at times what it's like to be excluded, whether it's at school, whether it's on social media, a, a friendship group, or, or, or whatever, and it's lonely and it's painful. And that's what God's saying here, you're choosing. We have the choice. A wild, wonderful party for all eternity or a future of exclusion. So the question is, well, how do I go to this party then? 
How do I get in? What do I have to do? Well, I think there are two things that we can see in this reading about how we join the party. And some of those things are to do with you, and some of those things are to do with me. It's about what you do with the invitation, and it's about what I do with the invitation. And the first thing you could do with the invitation is just ignore it. And I think that's what's happening here with this guest at the beginning. I mean, this comment, blessed is the one who will eat in the kingdom of God, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit formulaic. The sense is he's not taking it seriously. He's, we know he's religious. This was a religious feast he was at. He's obviously quite uh, important uh, to be there. So he thinks he's okay. You could say he's smug. He thinks, oh, all right, and I can make these little pious statements, and, and that's fine. And people we talk to, well, they may not use this same sort of language, but on the whole, most folk I talk to are not worried about hell. Instead, they're pretty confident that they'll end up in heaven. They're middle class enough, or they're spiritual enough, or they're nice enough, or they're educated enough, or they're kind enough to their family, or their dogs, or whatever it is, and that's all they need. And therefore, they just assume that we're going to end up in heaven, and I don't need to think about God's invitation. Well, Jesus' big point here is that that's a huge mistake. The point here is there is an invitation. And we need to respond to it. In fact, we spend our lives writing the reply to God's invitation. And you can see uh, how that works here. Uh, Look at verse 16. There's God preparing his banquet. He sends out the invitations. It's a kind of equivalent nowadays to a safer date. Uh, And then verse 17 sends a second invitation and people start refusing. And it's to everybody, isn't it? It's a very broad invitation. There's no VIP list. There's no special qualification at this point. There's no preferential treatment like the red carpet at a movie premiere or or something like that. God doesn't care, actually. doesn't care how old you are or what you've achieved or how religious you are. He just wants you. He's just sending out the invitation. And if you know your Bibles or you've been here before, you'll know how that invitation works. God wants you simply to stop ignoring him and to put our trust in the Lord Jesus. That is effectively the wording on the invitation. Jesus says, come to me. Very, very simple. And we're clear that the only way to get into the party, the only way to heaven, is by accepting that invitation. Jesus says he is the way. Don't think you're good enough to get there because you're not. Don't think you're spiritual enough to be there because you just can't be. So you can ignore the invitation. And of course, the other thing that we got here is you can refuse the invitation. Um, There are three groups of people here, aren't there? And if you look at two of them, you see that phrase in verse 18 and 19. They say, please excuse me. Sounds very polite. Um, when I was even younger than I am now, uh, I had 
apparently a very bad habit, I can't believe this, of continually interrupting my big sister. And my parents got so fed up with it, they said, Donald, because that's what they called me, if you want to say something, you say, excuse me, but, and then you carry on. So I think, all right. So there's my sister gabbling on. And I went, excuse me, but. And my sister still throws that back at me many years later. Excuse me, but. That's what's happening here. This excuse me isn't a polite at all. If you kind of look at the underlying sort of the, the other ways these phrases are used, it's really saying, don't bother me. Not interested. You see, all of them think they've got a better offer, don't they? We, we, you could play around with what all these individual things means, but I mean, generally the message is pretty clear, isn't it? Although it's, it's kind of centred on their culture. Verse 18, checking out fields. 19, trying out oxen. Uh, not quite sure that we do those sorts of things now, but we get the idea. It's the stuff of life, isn't it? Even getting married, verse 20. None of them are wrong. But we said, actually, that's more important than God's invitation. You know, the oxen are only going to last five years or so, aren't they? Can't take the land with him. They're not eternal. But these folk are putting material stuff, jobs, relationship. Presumably he's saying, I'm having a great sex life. None of that is as important or as fantastic as what God is offering us. C.S. Lewis um, talks about being offered a day at the seaside and instead playing with mud pies. And that's the sort of image here, isn't it? We're happy with our mud pies, thank you. We don't want what you are offering us. Don't bother me, God. And the problem with that, a problem with saying to God, don't bother me, is that God has bothered That's why he sent his son to die on the cross, because he was bothered by what will happen to us if we don't. And because he sent his son to die on the cross, it's not surprising that you see God reacting as he does. Verse 21, it says God was angry. The man was angry. And then verse 24, we saw earlier, banned from his presence. We need to be careful we don't fool ourselves that God's a nice, gentlemanly, kindly Father Christmas figure who gives you a little invitation to his party, and if you don't reply, he'll let you in anyway. That is clearly not an option here. We cannot say to God, please excuse me, because he won't. So, to some extent, the choice is up to you. You can ignore God's invitation, you can accept God's invitation, but a big part of this passage says, actually, what happens to you eternally is up to me as well. I'm involved with all this. Look at verse 21. The owner of the house orders his servant to find more guests. Now, we can go into theology and whether the servant is Jesus or us, it's kind of both. But in this context, the servant is sent out firstly into the town. Can you see that? The streets and the alleys. Verse 23, out into the countryside. Um, And partly this is saying, well, the gospel's going to move from Jerusalem through the rest of the world. But also, 
It's Jesus saying this invitation still stands and it's our job as Jesus' followers, his servants, to carry on inviting people. And there's a real danger, isn't there, especially in a, a, a church like this where we're so, uh, sort of, we support each other and we love each other and it's easy to be very pious and sing wonderful hymns and say, won't heaven be lovely? But that's not our job. Our job is to get out there and pass on the invitation. And it matters. You know, there's passion here. There's urgency. Look at verse 21. The master is angry. The servant is told to go quickly. And he's to grab virtually anybody, isn't he? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Anybody will do. Just get them into the kingdom. Look at verse 23. Compel them to come in, the master says. This is important. Have to take a little aside at this point, because that word compel has been misused sometimes, and has a bit of a tricky history in, in church history. So compel does not mean coercion or pressure or, 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 or even violence. I do remember once at college, uh, one of the Christian Union literally getting so frustrated with me, they got me by the lapels and held me up against the wall. He was in the rugby team. Um, and I appreciate that I can be a bit annoying, so uh, these things do happen. But nonetheless, um, it was an over-interpretation of the verse. And if you see coercion or violence or pressurised sort of approaches, even in this church, you must tell people, because it's wrong. Make sure someone knows if, if that's happening. But nonetheless... We are supposed to be energetic. We're not a Deliveroo driver. We're a motorbike courier. We've got to get out there and be fast. And we're going to have to take risks. As Lizzie said, there will be stabs to the heart sometimes. Or so what? I'm sure the coffee stop, chocolate stop, whatever, will still be happening. That is something we just have to risk. God's invitation is for his house to be full. See that, verse 23? And we are to be energetic. We are to be quick and get out there. Now, if that's all sounding very intimidating, like being bashed over the head with a mullet or whatever it is, uh, and you think, I can't do all that. And we all have those moments, think, I don't even know what I do believe. How am I going to have this conversation? Here is a dead easy way to start. doesn't even require you to get off the sofa. At 6.59 on Wednesday, put your laptop on, your iPad, and instead of clicking on YouTube, Click on the BH link, and just for half an hour, while you quaff your hot chocolate or your Coke or your beer, nobody will know, just for half an hour, we can join together praying about folk we want to invite, folk we would love to see accept this invitation. And we've all got people, haven't we? We've got family, we've got friends, there's somebody in all our lives we would love to see know the Lord. 6.59, Wednesday evening, half an hour. Just join us. We not often quote the Pope, but the Pope says, evangelization, talking to people about Jesus, he says, that is done on your knees. So, let's do that Wednesday evening. And just in case you're thinking, actually, this is all Luke stuff, isn't it? You know, this is all about the gospel going out in Luke's time as he trudged around Europe with Paul. 
Just look at verse 22, because this is a parable that doesn't have an ending. Can you see that? Verse 22, the servant says, what you'd order has been done, but there is still room. And the master says, go out and get all these other people in. It doesn't stop. The banquet did not close, as it were. It is still there for us to invite people in. That's our job. Pass on the invitation. So there we go. That's the best idea I could get of heaven to end on. We can look forward to this wonderful eternity, can't we? But not if we ignore God's call. But we have a great and wonderful future on offer for other folk. Um, Bill Bright, some of you will know, famous Christian leader, and I think he died about 15, 20 years ago, but he wrote a book as he was dying. Uh, and these are the words I just want to end with, uh, because maybe they'll just say, yes, that's, that's where I'm going, and I want so-and-so to join me there. So this is how he described heaven as he was literally perhaps knocking on the door. He said, there we will be truly free at last, utterly released from all that beset us that short time there on earth. Free to be who we were meant to be. No more struggle, no more sorrow, no more ill treatment, no abuse, no loss, no unexpected mishaps, no breach in our friendship with the everlasting Father who seems everywhere, hugging us, blessing us, and urging us onwards to enjoy all this forever and always.